Mm. That was so, so good. Thank you all for singing that. Um, I picked that song because I know there's a lot of guilt and a lot of shame around families. And so I wanted to sing that before we go into this sermon as an invitation. We don't have to feel so guilt-ridden and ashamed of the way we've ran our families or of how we've lived in our families that we can't come to the Father and learn from him. As we said earlier, Jesus has done everything necessary for us to come to the Father. So we get to come to him and learn from him now without guilt, without shame. We're going to continue our study of the book of Proverbs this morning. We're going to be in a lot of different verses in Proverbs. So uh, the best way for you to follow along would just be to follow along on the screen with each point. The Proverbs will be up there. Um, but this, our, our sermon series this summer has been regaining the lost art of wisdom, right? Wisdom is the art of living skillfully. And wisdom is something that we use every day. We make a thousand decisions every day that don't necessarily have a right or a wrong answer. It just requires wisdom. It requires uh, God-given, spirit-empowered wisdom to make good decisions. Um, living wisely is challenging, but it's important because Proverbs tells us that whoever finds wisdom finds life. When we find wisdom, we find life. So this morning, we want to regain the lost art of building wise families. Okay? Now, if you're a child... Meaning, if you are still under the authority of your parents in their home, there's a lot in this sermon for you. I know children, I know a lot of times you come to the service and you're like, what's going on? What are they talking about? There's not a lot in here for me. At least 50% of this sermon is for you today. Okay, I thought about just titling it to the children, but figured that would alienate everybody else. So, uh, children, this is for you, Okay. But it's for everybody in here. We're all children in some way, right? So uh, Lord willing, parents, college students, grandparents, we're all going to get something out of this as we come to God's word, okay? Children, if you're paying close attention, here's some things you can look for, okay? A story about a water park, five principles for wise families, and a story about a good father. A story about a water park. Five principles for, good family, for wise families and a story about a good father. Let's pray and we'll get into this. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for being a good, wise, and loving father. Despite the guilt and the shame that we feel about our families and about our place in our families, you have done everything necessary so that we can come to you guilt and shame free right now to be with you, to learn from you, to heal from you. I pray that you would do that now. I pray that you would speak to us. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Father, may we all come to you right now like little children. And would you draw us up into your lap and comfort us. Teach us how to be your children. Um, As parents, we come here scared and afraid and guilt-ridden and ashamed of uh, the things that we have done or that we haven't done with our families. Um, God, would you allow us uh, to come and see you afresh, to hear your words of grace and mercy, to receive your wisdom, not as laws that burden us, but as an easy yoke that gives life. For the grandparents here this morning, Father, I pray that you would um, give them a vision for how they can come alongside their children and their grandchildren. 
to continue to raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the summer I turned 13 was a big summer, as it is for most 13-year-olds. I was looking forward to being a teenager and having all the rights and privileges of being a teenager. Do we have any 13-year-olds here this morning? No. Do we have any 12-year-olds? Oh, we got one 13-year-old. Yes. So she knows what I'm talking about. We have some 12-year-olds, right? We got at least one, Tucker, over there. Brian, you're not 12, even though you want to be. You act 12 sometimes. It's a big summer, right? You get all the rights and privileges of being a teenager. And I'll never forget my, the summer when I turned 13. I was so excited about being 13. And one of the things I was excited about was getting to go to the high school church camp. I had gone to church camp with all the younger kids in elementary school for years. But I was excited because when I turned 13, I finally got to go to high school church camp. But guess what happened? My parents scheduled a family trip during the week of church camp. And no matter how much I begged and I pleaded and I pestered and I cried, my parents would not let me skip the family trip to go to church camp. So when all my friends loaded on the bus to go to church camp, I got into the family vehicle to go to San Antonio to go to SeaWorld. And I was not excited about it. Youngins, SeaWorld is a water park. Used to be famous for having these uh, elaborate whale shows where you saw like killer whales do incredible tricks and now they got in trouble for that so I, I don't even know is Stewart still open is it still even a thing but it used to be like a super special place that everybody loved to go it was magical was I excited to go there no so we go to SeaWorld I walk in with my family and I asked my family I asked my parents I said can I just go my own way can I go do my own thing at SeaWorld? And my parents are gracious enough. They said, yes, you, you're 13 now. Uh, we understand you want to go do your own thing. So we'll let you have some time in the park where you can just go explore the whole park by yourself. And then we'll meet up later and we'll go to some of the shows and do some of the rides and all that sort of stuff. So they let me go out on my own. All right. So I'm walking around this water park, a 13-year-old. And what do I see all around me? I see thousands of kids with their families having a blast. Guess how much fun I had walking around SeaWorld by three hour, for three hours by myself? Zero. Guess how many friends I made in the three hours I spent walking around by myself? Zero. None. I thought by going my own way and doing my own thing apart from my family that I could find life and joy on my own. And I didn't find any of it. After three hours by myself, I joined back up with my family, and we went and we, we saw the whale show. We did all our own things. And it wasn't perfect, but my time with my family was infinitely better than my time by myself. I tell you that, especially youngins, because we tend to think that true life and true joy is found outside of our families. We think that our families are really a barrier to us having fun. When in reality, our families aren't a barrier to us having fun. Our, fairy, our families are one of the means by which God has given us so that we can experience families joy he wants for us. Right? Families were created by God for his glory and for our good. 
It's one of the main places where we learn to glorify him and enjoy him. And unfortunately, the world, the flesh, and the devil have convinced us to look for life outside of our families. Right? And children, you, you feel this right now. You're going to get this from the culture a lot. A lot of the culture is going to tell you that real fun happens when you get older and you can just leave your families. Like children aren't the only ones that struggle with it, though. Parents, we struggle with it as well. We feel all the time that if I really ha- want to have fun, if I really want to enjoy life, I've got to throw myself into my hobbies. Or if I really want to get satisfaction and meaning out of my life, I've really got to throw myself into my work. Or mothers, the pendulum may swing the opposite direction for mothers. You may feel that if I really want to get meaning and significance into my life, I've got to throw all of myself into my children, and I have to perfect them, and parenting becomes a works-based religion separate from the gospel. And in turn, you're going your own way as well because you're trying to build your righteousness out of your family and not through Jesus. We all struggle with this idea that to have joy in life is to go our own way. Scripture tells us that sin is going your own way. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And so what I want us to see this morning as we look at these Proverbs is that our families are not a barrier to us experiencing joy. They're a means by which we experience joy. And that when we go our own way, we experience the sin and misery of this world. But when we trust our Heavenly Father and and, um, follow the path of wisdom, then we find life and joy in our families, and we grow in our relationship with God as well. So um, we're going to look at five principles for building wise, wise families The whole book of Proverbs is in some way an instruction for families because the sort of the the motif of the Proverbs is that you have a father, and by implication the mother, giving wisdom to the son. So in some ways, the whole book of Proverbs is is about family relationships. But uh, Tremper Longman, who's an Old Testament scholar, outlines five different major themes for families in Proverbs. So I'm going to use his outline, and we're going to look through those themes. Now, two caveats before we jump into this. One is Proverbs shows us how life ought to be or how it generally operates. But we live in a fallen world, and so we all have fallen families, and we have uh, sin that gets into our families and causes trauma. Okay? So generally speaking, these principles are going to apply to families. But if you have trauma in your family from abuse or neglect, uh, then, then some of these may not apply to you the same way. It may be a little bit different. It may be really hard for you to think through these things. So Ryan and I would love to meet with you and talk with you, talk these things through with you, or just talk about your families if this is really hard for you. The second caveat is, I am far from a perfect parent. There are four people here that can attest to that, okay? And I'm far from the most experienced parent here. There there are people much older and wiser than me in here that that could stand up and give you a lot more wisdom. I'm just the guy who gets paid to teach this. Okay, so I'm learning as we go through this as much as anybody else. So let's look at these five principles. First, wise families strive for unity. If I said, what does God hate? Or what is an abomination, what would you say? Listen to these verses. Proverbs 6, 
16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lives, lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. God hates it when someone sows discord among brothers. It is an abomination for families to be divided. Now, we talk about a lot of stuff that God hates in the church, but I don't know that I've ever heard anyone say that God hates it when a family is divided. Why is that such an offense to him? It's because the family is meant to mirror the Trinity, right? The Trinity is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, all loving each other and serving each other. They're three, but they're also one. And so our families are many people, but it's also one family. And God wants us to love and serve each other. So whenever a family is divided through discord, in a sense, you're dividing up the picture of the Trinity. You're, you're dividing up this, this beautiful unit that's supposed to glorify God is being split and fractured and damaged. Right? That's what sin does. Our way divides. When we follow our own way, we divide the family. God's way unifies. So what are some ways that we go our own way and divide the family? Kids, quarreling, fights, coveting, wanting what your brothers and sisters have, um, unforgiveness. All those things are things that divide our families. Okay, Your family and unity in your family is a lot more important than your toys. And your brothers and sisters are going to be around with you a lot longer than your toys, Lord willing. So it's really important that you love your brothers and sisters and care for them more than your stuff. Um, teenagers, part of your process of growing up is you're going to want to go out and become your own person. But that's called individuation. There's a technical term for it. You're going to want to be individuated. And that's a good thing but not to the detriment of destroying your family, right? You've got to work with your parents to balance your desire to go out and make friends and, and, and get jobs and, and have activities and hobbies and all that stuff with dividing your family, right? Um, college students, it's a great time for you to grow and learn and develop, but not to the exclusion of alienating your family, I know one of the things that I regretted when I was in college is that I spent so much time on campus that it really took away from my family time. I divided my family because I spent all my time on campus. Um, parents, um, fighting causes divisiveness within the family. We need to practice biblical conflict resolution. It is not okay for us as families not to practice good conflict resolution. It's just not okay. God wants us to be one. He wants us to be together. He wants us to enjoy this gift as a family. And that has been hard when you're at home alone together all the time. Uh, I know it's been hard for us. The, uh, I guess it was yesterday morning, Sherry and I were sitting around and we were talking about all of the negative parts of 2020. We were like, oh, I'm so over 2020. Like, I'm so ready for 2020 to be over with already. And then we're like, okay, let's try to find some positives in 2020. Like, what have been some good things? 
And of course, we're parents with young kids, so we, the number one thing we said was sleep. We've gotten a lot more sleep. Uh, number two, we've gotten a lot more family time. Right? We've got to spend a lot more time with our kids. But with that has come friction and tension. And so one of the positives I know for me is learning how to actually uh, engage in good conflict resolution with my kids rather than just pulling away. During the school year, it's really easy when there's tension at home for me to go to work or for me to just go to my room or to kind of retreat in my hobbies. But now I have no hobbies. <laughs> I haven't had many hobbies. I haven't had any work. I haven't had anything to distract me. And so it's forced me to sit there and work through conflict with my kids, which has actually been a good thing. We actually have a deeper, stronger family because of that. A united family is a wise family, and a wise family is a joyful family. So we need to strive for unity in our families. That's the first thing. The second thing, a wise family provides godly instruction. Look at Proverbs uh, 4, 3 through 4. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments, and live. 1721. He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. And 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, in, our, in our culture, because we have um, information everywhere, right? We've got YouTube, Google, um, We've got coaches, mentors, youth groups, schools. All those things provide tons of information. They're incredibly important teaching tools. But what they've done a little bit is diluted the importance on instruction taking place in the home. Right? The primary means of instruction that God has given us is in the home. Does that mean we all need to homeschool? No. <laughs> that doesn't mean we all need to homeschool. But what that means is homeschooling is a good thing. Sorry, immediately, guilt and shame everywhere. I just saw it like falling on people. It just means that as a family, we're responsible for the education of our children, whether that's homeschool, private school, public school, hybrid, whatever it is, right? We're responsible for training our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We don't get to farm that out to somebody else. That's us. That's our joy. That's our privilege. That's something that, that is a gift that God has given us right? And so I think that's something that in our culture we need to redeem, is that the training and instruction starts with the home, right? That's, we're, we're responsible for that. Now, a lot, of, a lot of modern approaches to parenting want to say, especially for younger ones, that they should just learn to make their own decisions, okay? We do need to train them to make their own decisions, but especially the younger they are, the less they're prepared to make safe decisions, um, if I just let my children make their own decisions, especially my younger ones, they tend to do things like play in the street with their blankie in the middle of the road. That's not safe, right? So we've got to learn to, to teach our kids wisdom and safety, okay? It's a good thing. We can't just let them go their own way and decide what they want to do all the time. You know what, you know what happens if you, if, you, if you have a kid and you let him go his own way all the time, you end up with someone who's really hard to be around whenever they become an adult. So we've got we've to train them. We've got to instruct them in ways of righteousness and wisdom. 
So here's some rules of thumb, okay? Um, say this with all trepidation. In general, I think we ought to teach obedience first and wisdom second. So the younger a child is, the more you emphasize obedience to God's revealed will. Right? You're, you're teaching them to obey, especially what God has revealed in Scripture for us. Then we teach them to practice wisdom. Right? We teach them to obey God's revealed will. We teach them to practice God's wisdom. So two-year-olds get yes and no. Right? Two-year-olds get yes and no. That's how you communicate with them. That's what they can understand. As they get older, then we gradually explain to them what we're doing and why we're doing it. When you become a teenager, maybe there's some negotiating, some compromising. They're learning how to make some decisions on their own. And then hopefully, we develop fully formed adults that have the freedom to make their own decisions. And the parents and the family become um, guides, mentors, companions on their journey as they continue. Okay? But there's a... a there's a paradigm, there's, a, there's a, a transition that takes place from the infant into adulthood. But we've got to be giving them instruction. One time I was at the coffee shop, and uh, I was talking with a student, and we were talking about the gospel. We were talking about, I was explaining the gospel with them. It was a, someone who was a new Christian. Very basic, broad overview of the entire Bible. After we got up, we started to leave the coffee shop. There was a professor sitting there at the coffee shop. And he said, I can't believe that you would think that we need a God to teach us about the world like we're some sort of kids or something. He was an atheist. He didn't believe in God, and he didn't believe that we needed a God. And I just kind of thought to myself, hmm, that sounds like somebody who's never raised kids before. And later on, I was talking to another student who knew that professor, and he goes, yeah, he doesn't have any kids. Right? We need instruction. We need godly wisdom, just like we need God to teach us about the ways of the world. So that's the second thing. Wise families provide instruction. Third thing, wise children respect their parents. The children, wisdom for you is respecting your parents. Look at these verses. Proverbs 30, 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Eww. That doesn't sound good, does it? What's it saying? It's saying that there's, there's consequences to disobeying your parents. 22, 23, 22 through 25. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. By truth, and do not sell it. By wisdom, instruction, and understanding, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. Children, when you respect and obey your parents, you bring joy to yourself and you bring joy to them, right? This teaching applies throughout history. The, the fifth commandment says to honor your parents. Paul says, children, obey your parents. So you start out, children, in obedience, in strict obedience to your parents. And as you get older, you move from strict obedience into a place where you honor your parents, and sometimes honor looks like obedience, and sometimes it doesn't. College students, now you're probably in a place where you're more honoring your parents than obeying them. And one of the things that you can do to honor your parents is to go home and visit them. It's to send them cards. It's to, it's to send them text messages. Send them phone calls. Those sorts of things. Buy them presents. Remember their birthdays. That's a way that you can honor your parents for the, the sacrifice that they have given you. God promises that those who follow this, 
who, who honor their parents will experience joy and life. Again, this goes back to the Trinity, right? The joy of the Trinity. It's one God, three persons, uh, loving and serving each other. Well, you have, they're, they're equal, but they also have different roles and responsibilities. So the Father plans, and the Son submits to the Father's plan. So listen to this, kids. When God is asking you to submit to your parents, he's not asking you to do anything more than what Jesus did. Now, your parents aren't perfect, and Jesus' heavenly Father is perfect, but Jesus submitted to his heavenly Father, and that's a pattern for how you submit to your parents. And God says that he'll bless that, right? So uh, God is in charge. Parents submit to, the, to God and then children submit to their parents. And, and I will tell you, as somebody who um, was a rebellious teenager, life will be much better in general if you will obey your parents and not go your own way. Okay? I'm just telling you. I did a lot of rebellious things. And all those things I regret now. And as you get into adulthood, if you reject the teaching of your parents it's not going to get better. If you have good, wise, godly parents who are teaching you good, the, the ways of the Bible, then rejecting their way is foolish. Uh, I have an acquaintance that I've known for a while, uh, and this acquaintance grew up in a Christian home, uh, grew up going to church, learning the scriptures, uh, very strong-minded, very independent, though. And, and as she got older, she began to reject more and more her parents' teaching. She got married to a Christian man, um, continued to reject the Lord's teaching, continued to go her own way. It's a long, complex, windy story. But basically, she got to the point where she rejected all of it. She totally rejected the faith of her parents. She totally rejected her Christian husband. She wanted nothing else to do with it. She got a divorce. She remarried. Now she's doing her own thing, totally separate, going her own way. And she's miserable. She's not happy. She's not experienced the life and the joy that God wants for her. I'm just telling you, if, if, you, if you're thinking about rejecting the Lord of the universe and rejecting the teaching of your parents that they've given you, um, that is not the way to life. It's just not. So uh, children, wise children submit to their parents. Point four, wise parents discipline their children for their good. Uh, Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Can we just laugh about that a little bit? Like, it's saying like, look, if you, if you discipline your, son, your child with a rod, he's not going to die. Like, it's going to be okay. All right? But then look at that. But, but here's what's going to happen. You're going to save him from death. The next verse, verse 14. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Right? So discipline your child isn't going to kill them, and it's actually going to save them from death. It's actually going to save them from rebelling and going away from the Lord who loves them and created them. So parents, we need to discipline our children for their good. We need to give them good, godly boundaries, and we need to enforce those boundaries. Children, it's for your good that your parents discipline you. It's a good thing. They're teaching you wisdom. This world has a way that it operates. And when you break that and you go against it, you suffer consequences. So what discipline does is it teaches us natural consequences, right? 
So I think in our discipline, um, in general, I think how, you know, how do we discipline our children? We need to look at the natural consequences. What are the natural consequences for this disobedience? And if they were an adult, what would the natural consequences be? And then we try to play that out. For instance, it, um, a lot of times in our family, if there's a fight, and if, if one of our children hurts another child, what we'll do is we'll put them in timeout. And we'll say, look, if you continue to hurt people as you get older, they won't want to be with you. You're going to end up alone. So we're not putting them in timeout just to, just to punish them, to make them feel bad. We're putting them in timeout to show them that if they continue to do that as adults, they're going to end up lonely. And I don't want them to end up lonely. So look for the natural consequences. Um, spanking. Lots of different opinions on spanking. I'll let you decide when and how to spank. But in general, what I, This is scary. Uh, I think that if a child is doing something that is dangerous and there's no other way to communicate with them the danger of that situation, like playing in the street, then spanking is a good way to say, look, this is dangerous. This will hurt you. You shouldn't do this. Or playing with electricity or, or something like that, right? If you have um, strong objections to spanking, then I would say you need to find something that communicates with that child the gravity of that situation. Right? Yeah, and spanking hurts, yes, but sin hurts even more. And that's what I think we want to communicate with our children. Um, but, but spanking just doesn't communicate like sin and danger. It also communicates love. When kids, when your parents discipline you, it's because they love you. Whenever I was in high school, I had a friend uh, who got to do whatever he wanted. He had no rules. And of course, that was the friend I always wanted to stay the night with. It's like, Mom, can I stay with the night with this friend? Because we go there and we could do whatever we wanted. That shows you where my heart was at. And I would go there and I think, this is great. I can do whatever I want. No rules. And one night in a moment of honesty, we were talking about his family. And he said, you know, my dad doesn't really love me. And I said, well, what are you talking about? How do you know your dad doesn't love me? Love you. He said, because he doesn't care what I do. He doesn't give me any rules. He doesn't give me any discipline. I just do whatever I want. His father's lack of discipline communicated a lack of love. Parents, discipline your children because you love them. Kids, your parents discipline you because they love you. It's a good thing. Wise parents discipline their children for their good. Point five, wise parents model godliness. Proverbs 27, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. We get to model godly behavior to our kids. Uh, those of you who are around in the 80s and the 90s, you remember Charles Barkley's famous quote. What is Charles Barkley's famous quote? I am not a role model. Charles Barkley got to say that. Parents, we don't get to say that. We are automatically role models for our children. God has ordained that we would be a picture of him to the children, that we would get to be probably the primary way in which godliness is modeled to them. Um, their experience in our family will profoundly affect their view of God and the way that they experience his blessings. So we need to strive as much with all of the God's grace and Holy Spirit and wisdom we have to set before them a godly example. Now, even the best parents are far from perfect. We all know that. Right, kids, your parents aren't perfect. You know that. Parents, they know that you're not perfect. 
Okay, we got that out of the way. So, but here's the thing that we're doing when we model godliness. We're not trying to pretend we're perfect parents. We're trying to point them to a perfect Savior. Modeling godliness is not about being a perfect parent. It's about pointing them to a perfect Savior. Um, D.L. Moody was a famous evangelist. He was a big, hulking man, very, very well-known, very famous. Um, lots of people knew him. Uh, when, he, when he passed away, an interviewer was asking his son to describe his memory of his father. And he said, well, let me tell you a story about my father. When I was a kid one day, I was out playing with my friends. And my father came in to call me home from dinner. He came out and said, it's dinner time, come in. I didn't come in. My father came back later and he totally shamed me in front of everybody. He yelled at me and he, he shamed me in front of them and made me come back inside. So I came in, we did dinner. I went to my room. I laid down that night. And while I was in bed, my father came in. And I immediately thought, oh, man, what's he going to do? Is he going to come back in? Is he going to shame me again? Am I going to get punished? So he pretended like he was asleep. And instead of coming in and punishing him again, D.L. Moody came in. He got down on his knees. He started praying. He confessed that he had been harsh with his son and shamed him. And his son said that that was his lasting memory of his father on his knees confessing his sin. Parents, that's how we can model godliness for our kids. Let let our kids' lasting image of us be on our knees praying to our Heavenly Father for forgiveness so that they know they can get on their knees and pray to their Heavenly Father for forgiveness. We need to model godliness. So the five things, wise families strive for unity. Wise children respect their parents' teachings. Wise parents discipline their children and provide a godly example for them. When we go our own way as parents as kids, we experience sin and misery of this world. When we follow God's way, we experience life and joy and love. And the reason why we experience that life and joy is because wisdom is not just a set of principles. Wisdom is a pathway that leads us to a person. Wisdom is about a relationship with the Lord of the universe who was wise and loving and kind. Proverbs says that families who find wisdom and practice it find life because life is found with the triune God who is wise and is loving. Wisdom leads us into the divine eternal family of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Wisdom leads us to a wise and loving Father who sent his only Son to die for us on the cross. Wisdom leads us to a loving Savior named Jesus who followed God perfectly, obeyed him perfectly all the way to the cross. And wisdom gives us God's spirit who fills us and empowers us with God's wisdom and God's love. See, these principles aren't just abstract rules that we need to follow so that we're not punished. These principles are a pathway of life that lead us to our Heavenly Father. And no matter where you've gone, no matter what you've done, whether you're a child or a parent, there is always a way back home. I want to close by just reminding you of the story of the prodigal son. It's a father with two sons. What did the younger son do? Came to his father, said, I want all my inheritance. I'm going away. He rebelled. 
He went to the city. He squandered it all. He realized that life and joy were not found outside of his father's house, and he came home. Guess what the father did whenever he came home? He loved him and accepted him. He embraced him, kissed him, and brought him back into the family. Whether you're a child or a parent, when you realize that you've gone your own way, your heavenly father is there to receive you, to love you, to take you into the family. He's forgiven you based on the personal work of Jesus. You can rest in that. We can, we can come to our Heavenly Father. We can build our families on Him because He is the Lord who loves us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for not just giving us a good example um, to follow, but for saving us and rescuing us, for, for being our Savior. God the Father, you were so loving and wise that you plan to bring us into your family. Son, you were so loving and wise that you willingly sacrificed yourself for us. And Spirit, you're so loving and wise that you pour yourself out for us. Father, we, we are ashamed and guilty people of the way that we have ran our families and lived in our families and rejected our families. And I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would remove that and we would see you as a wise and loving father ready to receive us home and ready to take us into your house because you love us. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.